Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. We are pressing into the topic, really specifically talking about how we as believers walk in this warfare that is around us, what our lives are to look like and how we do that together. And so today we're going to continue on in that. Last week, we set the foundation that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? He's the one that won the victory for us, and we're going we're gonna to build more on that today. But, but for you in your life, you will never find victory over the things that are trying to hold you back simply by your strength and by your effort. We only find that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith, of your faith, of what he's building in you in your life. And can I just tell you, that just takes all the weight off. Come on now. You should feel a little lighter this morning takes all the weight off of us because then what we get to do is enter into relationship with him and he leads us into these places of how we win when it comes to the real struggles that we're facing day in and day out in our life and it's rooted in him and his greatness. Come on church, that's good news for you and I. Amen? Amen. So as we get started today, we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you just to open up to Ephesians. And we're actually going to go through almost the entirety of the book of Ephesians. But before we do that today, I just wanted to take a moment with you and give you a little fun, a few fun facts. Everybody good with some fun facts this morning? Whew, everybody take a big deep breath. Let it out. There you go. Come on now. Here's a fun fact for you. How many of you know that it is easier to get hired, or it is harder to get hired at Walmart than it is to get into Harvard? Listen to this. The acceptance rate at Harvard is 4.5%. The acceptance rate of your application at Walmart is 2.6%. They're saying no to a lot of people, man. I don't know where Joel's at. There he is. Come on, Joel. Joel got one of the yeses from Walmart. Joel, what that means, buddy, is Harvard's easy for you, bud. Easy. You got it covered. Come on now. Here's another fun fact for you. You'll like this one. Did you know the Cookie Monster has a real name? Kids, did you know this? Sid. Nice. The Cookie Monster's real name is Sid. Look at all the bewildered face. I see so many adults that their like childhood just got shattered right in front of them. Wait, no, he's the Cookie Monster. His name's Sid, people. His name's Sid. You guys with me this morning? Come on now. See, these are good facts for you. You guys just feel smarter just because you came to church this morning, right? Come on, that'll be a fun one that you can use tomorrow when you go to work, right? Cookie Monster's name, his real name is Sid. That seems a little weird to me. Like, it's a little anticlimactic. Wouldn't you agree? Like, Sid? I mean, I like Sid the Sloth. Now, he's funny. But the Cookie Monster just, anyways, we got to move on. All right. So, uh, no more fun facts. I'll get you one next week. Thanks, River, though. Um, so we're going to be in the book of Ephesians here, and, and what we're talking about over these next couple weeks, we're going to talk about kind of the nature of the warfare around the church, and Pastor Jason here in a couple weeks is going to take us actually into the book of Joshua and show us some physical examples of what that looks like. But what we want to do is we want to invite you into this place of understanding that the victory that we have in Christ is, is a total thing. But there's some stuff that we get to do together in partnership with the kingdom of God. And we discussed this last week. Because the kingdom of God is always moving forward. It's forcefully advancing. 
And I feel like you need to set that back into your heart this morning. The kingdom that you are a part of is not passive, just kicking back and enjoying our ride. Last week, we, we put the analogy up there of the battleship, right, and the cruise ship. The kingdom of God is not a cruise ship. It is a battleship. We are moving forward in all the things that God has for our life. And this is why we named this sermon, let's, or this series, Let's Go. Oh, you guys are good. Come on, you nailed that one. Right? Because there's this reality, church, that we're not to be stagnant in our lives. We're not to just pretend like everything's hunky-dunky and we're just going to move on. No, 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 no. We're a part of a kingdom that is moving forward. That means in your life, in your family, in your business, in your community, wherever you're at, the kingdom of God is moving forward. Why? Because you're there. That may be a revelation for some of you, but this is what Jesus invited us into, is this beautiful space that the kingdom of God is constantly moving forward. And in order for it to move forward, here's the reality. It's going to meet resistance. It's going to meet resistance. So I'm going to rephrase that. In order for the kingdom of God to move forward in and through your life, you are going to meet resistance. And this was actually a common understanding for the early church, but they were wrestling through this as well. And so Paul wrote this amazing book called the Book of Ephesians. And the Book of Ephesians was specifically designed to teach the church how to be the church. Because they were a little confused. A lot of them were, came from kind of different cultural backgrounds, and they weren't exactly sure how to do this whole Christian thing. Anybody associate with that? Like sometimes it's just like, what are we doing? And how do, how, do I, how do I do, like, we're all in that place. And so Paul wrote this amazing book to the church of Ephesus. And I want to give you a little background so that your heart can connect with them, because they were just real people like us. So here's the reality of the church of Ephesus. It was a beautiful, beautiful city uh, back in the day. I think we have some pictures up here. And it was located in what is modern-day Turkey for us. Well, can we go back to the one that had the map? That is beautiful. But Ephesus is right here on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Just you can kind of see it in correlation to everything else that you would be familiar with from Scripture, right? We've got Rome, we've got Corinth and Philippi, Antioch, and then Jerusalem down here, right? So we see that Ephesus is kind of this central hub. And out of Ephesus, a church was birthed by a guy named Paul. Anybody remember Paul? He went there, planted a church, and this church had some pretty significant impact, right? Um, he was under house arrest when he actually wrote this book of Ephesus, one of the four epistles that he wrote while he was in prison. Didn't have anything else to do, so he thought he'd just write people and tell them what to do. Seems like a good idea to me, right? No, but really what was going on is there were some things happening in the church of Ephesus that they didn't have some understanding in. And so Paul began to write them to give them some understanding of how to be the church, how to love each other well. And I want to be clear, this is not a little church. This city of Ephesus was about 250,000 people. In biblical times, that was enormous. That was a lot of people in one beautiful place, very wealthy. The people there were doing very well off. It was part of major trade routes. All kinds of cool stuff going on there. I don't know if they have the picture up there. There's this beautiful theater um, that they had that literally thousands of people, there it is, that thousands of people would come to for entertainment. This was the place to live, kind of like Boise, Idaho. 
Come on, it's the place to live, right? Like we, we love this place and it's beautiful and enjoyable. And that, that was Ephesus. They had all kinds of religious things going on. Their culture was rich. And there was a church that was birthed in the middle of that. And it's, it's told to us that the church was somewhere between twenty and 40,000 people in this church. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, we think we have mega churches nowadays. The city of Ephesus had a church that was somewhere between twenty to 40,000 people. And there were some things happening in the church that Paul needed to give them some instruction on. Some things that he wanted to, to work with them on. Why? Because the Christians thought they understood what church was all about. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like the American church. We we think we've got God figured out. Why? Because we're super educated and we live in the, the best country in the world and all these wonderful things. And, and for some reason, we think that we, had the, we have the church figured out. Well, the church of Ephesus was wrestling through very similar things. They thought they had the mission and purpose of the church figured out. And Paul said, oh, kids, we need to have a talk. Because they had gotten wrapped up in a comparison game. The church of Ephesus was really focused on this reality of because they were wealthy, because they had nice things, they were showing up with their cool chariots and their new outfits and all of these things. And they were in this really weird tug of war. Instead of being about the business of the kingdom of God, they were just about showing each other all the things that they had. Sound familiar? Come on now. And there was this turmoil that was going on in the church and Paul needed by the Holy Spirit to come and reset some things in the heart's of the people because God had a mission for the church of Ephesus. Most specifically, the majority of Asia was reached by the church of Ephesus. They had trade routes into all of Asia, and God had a mission and plan for that church, but they were too wrapped up in their stuff and their comfort and their everyday life. And something had to happen in the hearts of them to get them aware of what was going on around them. And so Paul wrote to them, the book of Ephesians, and gave them instruction on what it was to be the church and really behind that, this underlying theme of what the church was all about. So I want to open up here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, and this was Paul's heart for the church. And I really, I want you to hear this as a prayer for us today as well. This was what Paul was praying. And he even said in verse 16, I'm praying this for you. In verse 17, he says, go, goes on to say, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Man, if I could pray that over you today, that the Holy Spirit would come and give you wisdom and spiritual insight, we sang about this morning, that your eyes would be open. Jason really prophesied this into our hearts this morning, that our eyes would be open to see what's going on around us. Why? Because it's important, the day and age and the time in which we live. goes on to say, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he has called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And then we're going to jump into some deep space here. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power, come on now, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. 
Come on, church, did you hear that? He's praying that our understanding would be open to the greatness and the power that is present and accessible to you and I. It's the same power that raised Jesus out of the dead. Something that no human being can do, only God. What, what Paul is praying, I want you to understand the power that is accessible to you this morning. I want you to understand that this fight that we are in, again, is not contingent on your ability. It is rooted and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Reminder, Jesus is far above any ruler or power or leader or authority or anything else. This is the Jesus you're following. This is the Jesus that you're putting faith in. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He was actually speaking of principalities, powers, things that are beyond what what we would naturally see. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of what? The church. Everybody say, for the benefit of me. And the only reason you can say that is because you're the church. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not even these people that we're talking about in history. You are the church. So all of that authority is established for your benefit. For you to walk in a new place of authority. And it goes on to say, and the church is his body. That's us. We are the body of Christ. It's this beautiful thing. Paul needed the church of Ephesus to understand that this whole thing that they were involved in was not about them. It was about the kingdom of God moving forward and that it was going to do it on the power by which God used to raise Christ from the dead. And he has now put you and I in this place of walking in this reality that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is accessible to you. And to me, Bob Sorge is one of my favorite heroes of the faith in our contemporary time. And he said it this way, the nature of the enemy's warfare in your life is to cause you to become discouraged and to cast away your confidence. Not that you would necessarily discard your salvation, but you could give up your hope of God's deliverance. In other words, his mighty hand working in your life. Whatever you're facing in your life, whatever difficulty, whatever addiction, the devil's job is not to get you to walk away from God. The devil's job is to get you to believe that God's hand is not strong enough for you to deliver you from what you're facing in your life. That's all all he's trying to do. He goes on to say, the enemy wants to numb you into a coping kind of Christianity that has given up hope of seeing God's Resurrection power. Church, can I just tell you right there, the church of America just got defined into a people that just are comfortable with coping with day-to-day life. Comfortable with the fact of, yep, this stuff is just going to happen, and yep, no, I just have to put up with that. And Instead of going, wait, 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 wait a minute. I have a God who is full of power and authority, and he's given that to me. And therefore, because of that, I don't have to just cope with life. I get to live in the victory of the cross. I get to live in the victory of the resurrection. I get to look at tomorrow and go, well, t- today might have stunk a little bit. I didn't, I didn't quite get the, 
the victory in the way that I thought I was today, but there's always tomorrow. And my God is faithful, right? It's this, it's this place, really what it is. Church, I want to speak to you. It's faith. It's believing in something that you can't see, can't touch, can't wrap your hands around, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's real. I want to remind you, we have proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, you have proof that you have victory in your life. And church, we got to get this in our hearts and lives because all too many of us are just coping with day-to-day life and we're missing out on the power of the resurrection of the cross. And this was what Paul was saying to the church of Ephesus. Listen, you guys are awesome. Like, I like you. You're nice guys. I like hanging out with you. I hear good things about how you're hanging out with each other and all that stuff. But church, church of Ephesus, you, you got to live in the power of God. You got to know that it's real for you. You got to not just let the enemy kick you around, but you got to you got to begin to understand that this is a warfare that you're in, and you have some authority as you function in it. So here's what I want to do. I want to set a foundation for us this week that we're going to lead into next week through the book of Ephesus on what Paul describes as the three basic foundations of your posture as a follower of Christ and being part of the kingdom of God. Here's here's the three positions that Paul declares for us that we live out of in our life. The first is that we sit. The second is that we walk. And the third is that we stand. We're going to unpack those over these next few minutes here to give you some reference for your life of how you get to live in this space. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 comes into this space for us, and this is our sitting posture. It says, God, but God. How many of you know, anytime you see in Scripture, but God, get ready. Something awesome is about ready to happen for you, right? Because what it means is God went past you, went past your circumstances, went past all the natural, and God's going to show you something here that is just a God thing. But God. But God. Goes on to say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to stop for just a second. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he didn't do that just so you got to go to heaven someday. He did that so that you can be seated with him in heavenly places right now. That means there's authority that God has for your life that goes beyond what you had prior to your engagement in relationship with Him. And it is all completely 100% dependent on the fact that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And guess what? That's where you're seated. And I love how Paul, Paul gives us this understanding that the way that you begin this journey is not by you, but by Him. You are seated with Him. When I am seated, this posture right here, this is not a place of action. This is a place of of complete and total dependence. Right? I'm not in a posture of fighting. I'm not even ready to run. I can't do anything in this place but just sit and be. And that's exactly where Jesus wants you when it comes to the place of authority. It's not about you. Your place of authority is because Jesus invited me to come sit right next to him. And he's seated in heavenly places. Why? Because he conquered sin, death, hell, everything. He won the victory. And guess what? 
you're invited to come sit right next to him and live in the victory of what Jesus has done for you. We could stop right here today and your week would be way better now. Because we're seated with him. And there's some of you that do not understand the authority that you've been given in Christ. You think you're seated below him. You think you're groveling to just, to just get him to do something for you in your life. And Jesus is going, what are you doing? I've been, come up here. I've invited you to sit next to me in this place of authority. Remember, Scripture says that all authority, all authority was put under Jesus Christ. And he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And now you and I are seated right there with him. This was what Paul was telling the uh, church of Ephesus. Listen, don't glory in all the stuff that you have. Glory in the fact that you get to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're way better than you think you are. And it's not because of you. It's because of him. You get way more than you think you get. Not because you've earned it, but because he did. You are seated with Him in heavenly places. Church, we got we to learn how to sit a little bit better. We, we need to be reminded of the place that we have in the heavenlies because of what Jesus Christ has purchased for us. This place right here in your life is an invitation of Christ. For we have been seated to come and sit with Him, to be reminded Daily, can I tell you, this is really what your devotional life is all about? To be reminded how great he is and what he's invited you into. Those times that you spend with him in the morning are not, not just about getting things off of your chest or the things that you're trying to process through, but to come and sit next to him and be reminded of all the authority that has been made available to you and I in the body of Christ. You're seated. Everybody say seated. Okay, here we go. So you're seated with him in heavenly places. That's probably the best news you've heard all morning, other than maybe the Cookie Monster name. I get it. I get it. I get it. You're seated with him. That's your place of authority. Man, I wish that I could just come to each one of you and look at you in the eyes and say, do you realize that you are seated with Christ? Like it's something that we need to have some conversations about. It's a reminder that each one of us need to have because way too many of us walk around with our heads down. Way too many of us walk around defeated and feeling defeated in our life. And God wants you to know that's not, that's not the, the place that he's seated you. He's invited you to something radically different. Then Paul goes on to say, so we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then he begins to give some instruction to the church of how you begin to live your life. In fact, in the New King James Version, and I actually love, love it better, because he begins to talk about how you walk or how you live. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We're going to begin to see a theme here that Paul now begins to interject into the heart of the church. Remember, he's saying, hey, church, we're built for something. We're built for something important. And it begins with being seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your identity. And then he goes on to say, and that, that seated place of authority will cause you to move into action in your life. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or ask you, um, to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To walk worthy. In other words, some of your translations would say, to live in such a way. To walk worthy. With all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, 
bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep, listen to this, the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. What is Paul calling us to walk in here? Unity. Unity. In fact, for those of you that are looking at your Bibles, it says walk in unity. One of the ways that we live in the victory of what God has for our life is we choose to walk in unity and love for one another. Notice it said to be gentle and humble, to be long-suffering with one another. Some of the translations I said, I love how they say, they go with these words. Hey, understand that each other, you're going to fail. You're going to make some mistakes. I am so grateful that I walk in life with people who understand that I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm really grateful that I married a woman who understands this. Come on. How often are we not gentle and long-suffering? See, it's the invitation of Paul to say, hey, if you want to live in victory in your life, learn how to love each other really well. Learn how to walk with each other in this place of unity, understanding that at some point in time, you're going to make a mistake. And at some point in time, that person next to you, they're going to make a few as well. So just love them. Just love them. Just walk with them in that space. So when we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and then we begin to walk out this this journey of faith, that Paul leads us to the first part is you need to learn how to walk together with one another in unity. And then he goes on in in chapter 5, verse 1, and says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Wow, that's not hard. Right? Come on, think, think about the words that were just... Paul just looked at them and said, Doug, be like God. Doug's like, I got this covered. No worries. Right? Like that's an impossibility if you stop and just think about the statement in and of itself. But if you take it back to Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul said, Hey, I just want to remind you, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's grace that covers your life. There's an ability that covers your life that goes beyond you. So when Paul says to them, hey, be imitators of God, that should just be an imitation of, oh, yeah. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm by the Father, and He loves me, and He's for me, and He's with me, and I don't have to perform. I'm just going to imitate Him because I hang out with Him. I'm going to imitate Him to all the people that are around me. The pressure's not on you to be, like, super awesome, The pressure is on you to just hang out with Jesus. He's super awesome. And he'll remind you of where you're seated with him, right? Goes on to say, as dear children, I love that, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So what are we instructed here to do? Walk in love. Walk in love towards one another. Yes, that includes the person that you don't even like. He didn't say walk in like. He didn't say walk in how you're feeling today. He said walk in love. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It's not boastful or proud or envious. It's none of those things. How can we even live out of the place of love? How can we do that? I'll tell you right now. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit in your life as you walk with Him. 
So, walk in love. Walk in love with one another. Be kind. The greatest way, I want to just tie back into what Paul, the greatest imitation of God that you will ever put on display is your love for other people. Because God is love. The greatest display that anybody will ever, I don't care if you like standing on the corner and screaming the gospel at people, or if you're the kind of person that needs to sit down in a coffee moment with people to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, but here's the reality of it. The greatest way that you share or you tell about the good news of Jesus Christ is by demonstrating God to people that you're around, and the best way that you do that is through loving them. It's through loving them. Just putting your heart out there and loving well. So Paul invited the church of Ephesus. He said, hey, listen, if you're going to walk, if you're going to live this life of, of faith, you've you got to walk in unity. You've got to walk in love. And then he goes down into verse 8 and says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. What does that mean? That means we walk away from the things of this world, the things that that would come to bring darkness into our life, and we begin to walk in such a way that brings light to other people's lives. In other words, and my wife and I have been talking about this a lot lately. We've been really processing through. She's taking a course through PBC called The Doctrine of the Church, and it has just been incredible for her as she's just been gaining this understanding, this powerful revelation of how important the church is in the plan of God. And one of the things that we've been talking about out of this place is actually the impact of our lives that we don't even think about. The way that you live your life is way more significant than you can even understand. The choices that you make, the decisions you make for your family, the way that you love and serve other people, that is walking in the light. And as we are in the light, we are shining light into dark places that are in our community. Everywhere you go, everything that you do, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And there's this reality for us as followers of Christ and that Paul was trying to get into the heart of the church. Remember, he's inviting them. Is this place of understanding here that you can walk in the light. And not only should you or can you, but he's inviting you to do so, so that others can understand the kingdom of God through you and through your life. The fourth thing that Paul said here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, the fourth and final one, he said, See then that you walk circumspectly. Everybody say that word. Yeah, see, I knew it was hard for you too. Really hard for me. I'm not a very smart guy. That's a tough word right there. But what it means is to walk with wisdom. Some of your versions even said that. Not as fools, but as wise. What does that mean, to walk with wisdom? It means put wisdom in your life and walk in it. Do it. Walk out that path. Surround yourself with people that will point you towards wisdom. Surround your life with the presence and the Word of God, and you will find wisdom. How you live your life is really, really important, church. And can I tell you, it's part of how we walk out the victory that God's called us to. All too many people want to have the victory of the kingdom of God, but not live in the wisdom of God. Can I tell you, those two things are not separate from each other. Man, we 
We all of a sudden got really serious in here. Wisdom is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in our life because it helps us to avoid a lot of the pain that life wants to bring to you. I'm not saying you're going to avoid pain. I'm just saying that as we walk in wisdom, it helps us to avoid some of those things in our life. And when we choose not to live by wisdom, the Bible says that's foolishness. It's silly. Parents, many of you in the room have ever gave some instruction to your kids that you knew was going to help them and prevent them from some pain. And then you watch them do the exact opposite of what you gave them instruction to, and they experience that pain in their life. And most of us as parents are going, oh, some parents are going, Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I'm just kidding. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, no parent would do that. I apologize. But there is this reality that we just think we know better. And it comes to us very naturally. It's called pride. And so what wisdom does is it leads us into truth that we don't have in and of ourselves. Leads us into places of response to God's instruction in our life. And when we respond to God's instruction in our life, we gain the benefit of that in our journey. And this is simply all that Paul was saying. Surround yourself or walk in the wisdom that you have received. Put yourself around some people that will pour wisdom into your life. Can I tell you, there is plenty of foolishness in our world. You don't believe me? Just turn on the news. You get a full dose of it. Our education system has plenty of foolishness involved in it. Thank God for wise teachers that God has set into these places. Come on, church. Man, we, we desperately need the wisdom of God in the day and age in which we live. And Paul's saying, listen, you, you can live in that. You can do that. Learn how to walk in it. So Paul gives us this instruction. Remember, we're talking about the posture of how we as followers of Christ are in the kingdom of God. We sit, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We walk in these truths that God has given to us. And then finally, we're going to unpack this one real well next week. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 tells us this. Finally, some of you are saying, finally, Tim's getting to the point. (laughs) Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Notice again, it is not about you. It's about Him and His power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. That word there, wiles, we actually learned this a little while. It's schemes. In other words, the devil has a plan for you. He's got schemes that he's written out, and God has a way for you to avoid those things, right? But you've got to learn how to stand against the schemes of the enemy. goes on to say, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we're going to unpack all of that next week as we join together. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, what does he say next? Paul's really redundant and repetitive in this moment. And I think it's because he understood what was going on in the church he was talking to. That many of them weren't standing in their faith. 
They weren't standing in the rightful place that God had called them to. And so he was saying, hey, we got some things out of whack here, church. We've got some battles to win because this right here, Ephesians chapter 6, culminates with this reality that you and I are in a warfare. And the only way that we win that battle is by doing it God's way. And so he takes the first five chapters of Ephesians and unpacks for us our place, our rightful standing, that we're seated together with Christ in heavenly realm. He talks to us about how we live our life and how we walk out this journey. And he said, now that you know all of these things, as those that are called by God, now you got to learn how to stand in it. Not be wishy-washy, not be wimpy, not be distracted, not be diverted, but you got to learn how to stand. Church, this is exactly what we're talking about when we talk about this place of warfare. This is what we're talking about in the pressures and tensions that you feel in your life. We're going to give you some practical things next week of how to really walk in this place of authority that God has given us. How to really live out our lives in such a way that positions us and postures us for God to be able to move in and through our lives. And then how do we stand boldly when the enemy comes and tries to take us out? And God has given you, I just want you to know, that's a spoiler, God's given you everything that you need. Everything that you need. Everything that you would need to know Him, to walk with Him, and then to be victorious in Him. And so church, we're going to continue on this journey together. Here's what I want to do this morning, uh, just because I sense that there's, there's some aha moments going on in our lives. And I, I just want to reiterate this for you this morning. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are called to walk with Him in this journey. And because of all that He's done for you, you get to stand in the authority and the power and the equipping that He has for you in your life. And I know some of us are sitting here this morning not feeling that. We're feeling anything but that. We're feeling warfare around us. We're feeling beaten down. We're feeling discouraged. We're feeling distracted. And I just want to bring your headspace into right alignment this morning. God says to you that you're seated, that you're called to walk, and that you get to stand. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what the turmoil of your life is screaming at you, this is where Christ has invited you to live and to walk and to be so much so, listen to me, that he died on the cross so that you could experience it. And so this morning as we close our, our time here together, we're going to set our hearts into a place of preparation because we're going to have a short discussion here together in our groups about this reality for us. And I I can't help but to believe that there might be somebody in this room who has yet to understand that you are seated with Christ. In other words, that Jesus paid it all. Your sin, your brokenness, all the things that you've done in your past, the things that you're embarrassed of, the things that you're ashamed about, that Jesus paid all of that price for you on the cross. And He invites you into relationship with Him this morning. And it may be the first time that you've ever really even contemplated that. But walking in relationship with Jesus Christ is as simple as just saying, Jesus, would you forgive me? I'm inviting you to come and be Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe there's somebody that's watching online today, and you just know that's you. You just have never made a decision to follow Christ. I just want you to know today is a beautiful day to be able to do that. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.